You ready for the word this morning? Okay, we are. How many of you have been blessed with this first two uh, weeks that uh, Pastor Dan and Pastor um, Singyap has done it? I think it's been awesome. Huh? So I, I, it's my privilege now to bring you to the closing uh, chapter. Okay, wonderful. So, praise God. Now, the famous preacher, Henry Drummond, I think, was once asked to speak in London. And he opened up his message with these words. It goes like this. He said, ladies and gentlemen, the entrance fee into the kingdom of heaven is nothing, but the annual subscription is everything. I think what he was trying to say is this. Salvation is free, but discipleship can cost everything. And this morning, we're gonna take a glimpse into the cost of discipleship in our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read for you from verses 57 to 62 and then outline for you. I want to introduce you to three persons and then three price tags that we had to pay in discipleship. So Luke chapter 9, reading from verse 57 onwards. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So you notice that he was a, like a combination of the first two. I will follow you, Lord, he volunteered, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to behold the truth of your word. And God, may you speak to us this morning, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and speak as your servants hear it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. In Luke chapter nine, Jesus knew that his time has come for him to fulfill the mission that he came, which is to glorify his father by going to the cross and then dying for the sins of mankind. So from that moment on, when he knew that his time has come to go to the cross, he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem and he started walking to the cross. And in Luke chapter nine, verse 51, it actually recorded this. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And his destination was a little hill in Jerusalem called Calvary, where he's going to be raised on a cruel cross to die for the sins of the world. But on his way to the cross, Jesus met three men who personified for us the cause of discipleship. So I'm gonna take this time now to introduce to you three men and the three price tags that they personified for us when it comes to discipleship. I will call the first guy, no, the first guy, I will call him Mr. Too Soon, okay? Just to help you to remember, I give you three names, okay? The first is Mr. Too Soon, and he personified for us the price of personal sacrifice. 
In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, the scripture recorded for us, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I'd like you to notice that Mr. Tusun was actually a volunteer. He actually volunteered. He voluntarily came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. In Matthew chapter 8, which actually talks about the same incident, it gives us a little bit more detail about who this man was. He was no ordinary person. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, we were told that he was a teacher of the law. He was a scribe. Okay, in Matthew 8, 19, it says, Then a certain scribe came and said to Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, you've got to understand, brothers and sisters, during the time of Christ, when someone actually approaches a rabbi and then declares to him, I will follow you. It is actually a very big deal. And I'll tell you why. It's because it implies that he is prepared to totally submit to the rabbi's authority. When someone go up to a rabbi, it's like a sifu, you know, you're actually saying to the sifu, you're actually saying to the rabbi, I am prepared to su totally submit my life to you. He's prepared to let the rabbi's interpretation of the scriptures dictate every area of his life. He is prepared to serve that rabbi literally with his life. In other words, it was a radical thing. It was no easy thing. It was a radical thing. Maybe he was impressed by the signs and wonders that Jesus performed. Perhaps it was his religious piety, whatever it is. He declared very confidently to the Lord. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. No sweat. Been there, done that, you know, I can do it. There is no cost too high. There is no road too rough. There is no cross too heavy. I will follow you wherever you go. And then I'd like you to notice Jesus gave him a response that is very counterintuitive. And I'll tell you why. It's because as a startup rabbi, you see, Jesus is just starting out. He's beginning to form his school, as it were. And as, as a startup rabbi, if there is a scribe, if there's a teacher of the law who would willingly come and join your school, how many of you know that's a win for Jesus? It's a win for him. You see, but Jesus actually said something to him that is very counterintuitive. Jesus immediately turned to him and said, foxes have danced, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to place his head. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying, wait a minute, Rabbi, not so soon. It's not that easy, scribe. There is a cause involved. He's actually saying to him, are you, are you sure you are ready to submit your whole life to me? Are you prepared to live your life totally for my cause? Are you really even willing to go without the material comforts of this life? Because foxes have danced, you know, birds have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to place his head. Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus is not looking for fans. He is looking for disciples. He's not looking for groupies, you know. He's not trying to be a K-pop celebrity, jarring a people to himself. No, he was actually looking for disciples. Martin Luther once said this, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing. You see, and following Jesus can involve making sacrifices for the kingdom of God. Paul said in Philippians 3.8, I consider everything a loss 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, this morning, what have you and I lost for Christ? Are there sacrifices to make that you are still holding back? You know, what if you have to give up your preoccupation for the sake of advancing God's kingdom? Are you ready to forego your beauty sleep, you know, crawl out of your bed and get to worship rehearsal? Are you ready to do this? Are you ready to let go of a promotion so that you have more time for your family? Will you be willing to pour time and effort, you know, to, rest, to obey the prompting of the Lord, to take up leadership or to take up or to join the ministry? The Apostle Paul says, you know, I put aside all of my popularity, my prestige, my position, my status. He was climbing the ladder through all these things that he do. He was a, he was a, a student of, of Gamilia, the great rabbi. He was persecuting the church. He was climbing up, advancing up the, the ladder of Judaism. He said, I gave up all these things. I consider them dunk, he said. For the sake of what? The greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, in comparison to, to this greatness of knowing Christ, I consider all things like this are dunk. They are rubbish to me. They are garbage. In comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I'll tell you, friends, very honestly, I'm not there yet. I think about the things, there are still so many things I hold on to. There's so many things I'm not willing to give up. There's so many things I cannot consider them dunk in comparison to knowing Christ. And there's so much more I, I need to deal with within my own life. I don't know about you, but you know, every generation have songs that are so, so hard to sing. In my generation, I find it hard. There are some songs like, Take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver, take my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Can I really sing that and mean it? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. There's so many songs like that. They're really hard to sing. And the truth of the matter is this, brothers and sisters, hear me. When we bow our knees to the God of comfort and convenience, we will lose that spirit of sacrifice and self-denial. The gospel of Jesus Christ has never advanced on the wheels of wealth and personal comfort. It's always been built in the blood of the Lamb and the sacrifices of the saints. The kingdom of God can never be taken without the church paying a price. How many of you know that? It has never been like that. In the early days of the Moravian missions movement, their vision was burning so bright, they literally sell themselves as slaves so that they can preach to the slaves. The slaves. That was the only way they could do it. Their motto was very simple, to win for the lamb the rewards of his sacrifice. If you want to follow a suffering saviour, brothers and sisters, it demands a spirit of sacrifice. It requires for us to embrace the, the cross, you know, pay the cost, deny the flesh, embrace the spirit. The mystic A.W. Tozer declared almost a prophetic insight. That was so many years ago. He, he made this statement. I think it's a prophetic statement. He said, a whole new generation of Christians 
has come up believing that it is possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. I think that's true. We live in a, a church, we live in a world today that actually believe I can accept Christ without having to forsake the world. Brothers and sisters, it's a dark illusion to think that we can love God and love the world at the same time. It's a deception to think that we can live a double life and then still be intimate with God. There is no such thing. He is either Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. There is no such thing. And I can just accept Christ, but I can still love the world. It's a dark illusion and we need to break out of this. I can't see you, but I hope you're listening. Please hear me, because it's true. But I thank God that in the midst of all this, there are still people, there are still believers who will make discipleship decisions for Christ. And, and I thank God for them. They encourage my heart. I forgot to ask permission, but, but I think it's good news of worth sharing, you know. We have a couple in this church. They never fail to encourage me. They're both medical doctors. I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, Kevin and Edna. You know, I, I love this couple. I remember a conversation I had with them years ago when they were still raising young children. We sat down and had a conversation. And I'll never forget this. They both chose to work half a day so that they survive on one salary so that they could raise their children at home personally. That's a discipleship decision. You understand me? It's a discipleship decision. I know another young adult, Joanne Go, right? Uncle Liu and Jane's daughter. I never forget, you know, these are things that make my pastoring in this church so memorable. I never forget on her 21st birthday, she decided to make it missional. And she said, don't give me gifts. I'm going to turn every gift. You turn every gift you intend to give to me. Turn them into, into missions giving. Because she, she wanted to give all the money to Cambodia so that they can fight human trafficking. And today she's a missionary in an Islamic nation. That's a discipleship decision. And thank God for people like that. Because they encourage me. And they make it worthwhile, you know. Um... I think about all the volunteers that we have in the church. I thank God for every one of you because you make it worthwhile. I think about all the Auntie Ruth and the Faith and the Ming Kong and the Ants. And, you know, they are at this stage in their life, they can just stay home and watch Cape, you know, Korean drama if they want to. But they choose to come and serve in the church and volunteer themselves and lead ministries and all that. I think about people like Eddie and Sharon and... You know, they are raising a young baby, they are heading a zone, and they are in the, in the worship leaders' ministry, and they are building a house, and they are building a career, and all this stuff all mixed together, and then they drag their baby everywhere they go, and I think about people like that, and I think they make discipleship decisions that make it worthwhile for us to keep pastoring. And I'm challenging all of us. When push comes to shove, you know, when you really come down to it, do we all make discipleship decisions based on who God is and based on what God says? 
because that's what it takes to be a disciple. And I think about this, you know, that when it comes down to a decision we have to make, what is the question that we ask ourselves? Most of the time, we say, God, well, when it comes to making a decision, it's so easy just to say, what do I want? What's good for my family? What's good for me? What's good for my career? When our starting question we need to ask is, what is it that will please you, Lord? Because we live for a king, man. We don't live for ourselves. We live for our king. He says, God, what do you want? What does your word say? I think that's what, that's a discipleship decision. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, only he who obeys truly believes and only he who believes truly obeys. Jesus will, not, will have no disciple who is not prepared to pay the cost. The saviour that we follow, we must remember, started life in a borrowed stable, ended his life in a borrowed tomb. If he be God and died for me, no sacrifice too great can be. For me, a sacrifice to make, I'll do it all for Jesus' sake. If he be God and died for me, no sacrifice too great can be. For me, a sacrifice to make, I'll do it all for Jesus' sake. Mr. Too Soon apparently was not willing to pay the price of personal sacrifice he was never heard of again. I tell you, introduce you to the second guy. I call him Mr. Too Slow. And that's the price of earthly pursuit. The price of earthly pursuit. Unlike Mr. Too Soon, Mr. Too Slow, I'd like you to know, this was not a volunteer. In fact, he was personally called by Jesus. And the Lord actually came up to him and said, follow me. And Mr. Too Slow seems quite interested, but his response was typical of many Christians today. What's his response? He said, yes, Lord, but not now. Yes, Lord, but not, I'm not ready. Maybe later. And he, I think it's a very legitimate reason for it. He said, first, let me go and bury my father. You see, in the Jewish world, we need to understand a father's barrier is an important thing. And understand that here, he's not saying that my father have died and I have to go and bury him because if the father had died, he shouldn't be there. He should be at the funeral. But what he's really saying is this. Mrs. Too Slow is saying, let me wait until my father die and then I bury him. Then I'll come and follow you. That's what he's saying. You see, behind this request is an issue of delayed surrender. But behind this issue of delayed surrender is a bigger issue of his heart allegiance. You see, his, his request really uncovers the attitude that he had, that discipleship is something he could pick up and put down at will. In other words, it's discipleship on my terms. It's discipleship on my time and at my convenience. And, 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 and that's the problem. See, and he's this, this Mr. Too Slow, I think, needs to realize the call to follow Jesus is an urgent priority. And Jesus used this phrase. Jesus then said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. And please understand, when he said that, he was not being callous, he's not being uncaring. He was using a form of teaching commonly practiced by the Jewish rabbis at that time. It's called graphic hyperbole. It is the use of exaggeration to bring a point across. 
See, he's using exaggeration to bring a point across. Another example of this would be when Jesus talked about family relationship. Listen to this one. In Luke 14, verse 25, Jesus said, large crowds were following Jesus and he turned to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, this one will really rub the, against our mental wellness, you know, craze today. Hate yourself, hate your father, mother, hate your brother and sister. How can that be? Listen, Jesus is not telling us to go hate everybody, but he is saying this, comparing our love for Jesus, our love for our loved ones, is like hatred. Are you with me? He's using an extreme to illustrate, the, to bring across the point. He said, compared to our love for Jesus, our love for ourselves, our love for our loved ones, is like hatred. It's all about primary allegiance to Christ. Everything else is secondary, but our call to follow Him. And that expression, let the dead bury their own dead, was a figure of speech to mean this, let the world take care of the things of the world. Our Lord Jesus often use hyperbole, extremes, you know, to exaggerate something in order to show how important it is. Give you another example in Matthew 5, verse 29 and 30. He said, if your right, hand, right eye causes you to stumble, what do you do? Gotch it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your, your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. Better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. How many of you know he's not meant to be taken literally? Or else there'll be a lot of blind and handless people around. See, that's not the point. The point is this. The point is, he's trying to bring out the importance of walking in righteousness. And then Jesus tells us, got out your eyes, chop off your hands. It's not meant to be taken literally, but it brings out the critical importance of purity in our relationship. That's the whole point. In the same way, Jesus said in Matthew 8, 22, he said, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. He was declaring to Mr. Tuslow that his relationship with Jesus takes priority over all other earthly relationships. It was a test of allegiance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. And I'd like you to notice what Mr. Tuslow said. He says, Lord, first let me go and do this. How many of you know it's a contradiction to call Jesus Lord, Master, King, and then you let yourself come first. Lord, but first let me go to my thing. Mr. Tuslow had his own agenda and he gave priority to that. What was Christ's response? He said in verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying? The spiritually dead are able to do some things that you and I can do, but only we, who are spiritually alive can proclaim the kingdom of God. Any non-believer can be an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, a storekeeper, and so forth, but only believers can proclaim the kingdom or preach the gospel. So hear me, my occupation may be a doctor or a lawyer or a plumber, but my preoccupation must be the kingdom of God. Don't forget that. You know, Lester, your occupation is a lawyer but your preoccupation is the kingdom of God. You with me? You know, and then 
Dr. Dance, you know we have a, a few Dr. Dance here. Your occupation is a doctor, but your preoccupation is the kingdom of God. You know, Charles Spurgeon wrote this to his own son. You know, listen to what he wrote to his own son. He said, I should not like it if you are meant by God to be a missionary to die a millionaire. I should not like it if you are fitted to be a missionary that you should go down to the level of being a king. What are all your kings and nobles, your diadems, when you put them together compared with the dignity of winning souls for Christ, with the special honour of building for Christ, not on another man's foundation, but preaching Christ's gospel in regions far beyond. So what's my point? My point is this, if God has called you, don't be a Mr. Too Slow, but we're willing to pay the price of every earthly pursuit. Mr. Too Soon is a price of personal sacrifice. Mr. Too Slow is a price of earthly pursuit. I leave you with this last one. I call him Mr. Too Soft. It's a price of persevering faith. And notice that Mr. Too Soft is a combination of both Too Soon and Too Slow. He was a volunteer just like Too Soon, but yet he said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go do something else just like Mr. Too Slow. Listen to what he said. I will follow you, verse 61, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, please understand, the family is important. And next week, we're going to be talking about that. But Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, gives us a comparison between our love for our family and our love for God. Matthew 10, 37 says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Listen, people, if Jesus is really Lord of our life, then our love for Him must be unrivaled. It must be supreme. But more crucial than that, I think, is that Christ saw His lack of perseverance and the absence of total commitment. Now, you notice His answer. He says, first, let me go back. The biggest problem in following Christ is the tendency to go back. Go back to what? Go back to where we started, back to the world. That's the problem. Reminded me of the Israelites in the wilderness. Exodus 16 verse three, when they followed Moses out of, uh, of Egypt and into the wilderness, listen to what happened in the wilderness. Exodus 16 three, the Israelites said to them, if only we have died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. When they ran out of food, they wanted to do what? Go back to Egypt. The moment the going gets tough, they look back to Egypt. Exodus 17.3. But the people were thirsty for water there. They grumbled against Moses again. And then they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? When they run out of food, they want to go back. Now they run out of water, they also want to quit and go back to Egypt. In total contrast, we see Moses paying the price of discipleship in Hebrews 11, verse 24 to 27. Listen to this one. By faith, Moses, when he was, had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. Why? Because he saw him who is invisible. Why was Moses able to pay that price of discipleship? It is not because he was more committed or more resilient or more diligent. The Bible tells us it is because by faith, by trusting in his unseen God, he was not trying harder in his own effort. He was trusting in his God. He persevered by keeping his eyes on him who is invisible. And when he saw the greatness of his God, my brothers and sisters, he found the grace to actually pay the price of following him. He found the grace to, know, to, to, to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of this world. He was looking ahead to his rewards in heaven and therefore earth loses her appeal. Yes, there is a price to pay for following Christ. There is a cost to discipleship. And these three men, I think really personifies for us these three price tags that comes with the Lordship of Christ. Mr. Too Soon, it's the price of personal sacrifice. Mr. Too Slow, the price of earthly pursuit. And Mr. Too Soft, the price of persevering faith. Perhaps none of them was willing to pay the price. So we don't hear of them anymore. But my question for all of us this morning is this, what about you and what about me? I think today, this morning, we are all faced with this choice, you know. Like the old hymn says, you know, rise up, O man of God, be done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. And you know, whenever we come to this point, all of us will naturally recall, you know, what Jesus said to us in Luke 14, right? Verse 28 to 33. And Jesus talked to us about counting the cost. Counting the cost. And you all know what Luke 14, verse 28 and 33 talks about. And let me read that for you. And then I want to show you something there that's so important. The scripture says, you know, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and he wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able, able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This, is, this passage is undoubtedly talking about counting our costs. And this is well and good. But before we all retreat into ourselves to decide if we want to pay the price to follow Jesus, and then we make it all about ourselves. It's all about what I'm willing to give up. It's all about what I'm willing to forego. Before we start to do that, before we start to turn this totally into ourselves and it's all about me and what I'm willing to give up, please remember this. Remember, it is, it is not the workers, it is not the soldiers who need to count the cost. First, 
I tell you who need to count the cost first. It is the owner of the tower, right? It is the king who is going to go to war who needs to count the cost first. So before you and I even talk about counting the cost of following our King Jesus, we must remember this. Our king already counted the cost of what it takes to rescue us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his marvelous light. He already counted the cost of what it takes to redeem us from sin and into freedom. He already counted the cost of what it takes to die so that we may live. People, let me remind you, our king counted the cost and he concluded it is worth it. It is worth it. Even for a worm like me, it was worth it, he said. And so he went to the cross and he gave himself for us. So my challenge to you this morning is this. He willingly gave up everything to save us. Now we must willingly give up everything to follow him. That is the basis of it. And this is exactly what discipleship is all about. Following Jesus. It is a pilgrimage that we are taking with our Lord Jesus. Discipleship is not a regimental journey of do's and don'ts. It's not about that. It is a redemptive journey of grace and gratitude. It is a pilgrimage that we are taking with our Lord Jesus. It's about a passionate pursuit of Christ. And this morning, I am calling you to radical discipleship. And I think this is a decision we all have to make. And I will end with this. And then I want to pray. This is a true story. 1904, William Bowden graduated from high school. He was an heir to his family fortune, which means that he was going to become a very wealthy man. He was set up for his life. But at the age of 16, his family gave him as a graduation present a trip around the world. And so he traveled through Asia to the Middle East and then Europe. He was on this trip that God actually lay a burden in his heart for the lost, the last, and the least. And he came home after that trip receiving a call, you know, to become a missionary. And that was when, after he came home, he took out his Bible and he wrote two words at the back of his Bible. And the two words were this, no reserves. No reserve. He holds nothing back. Then he went on to Yale University in 1905. With his heart, you know, already devoted to become a disciple of Jesus. And when he arrived at the college, first thing he did was to start a prayer meeting with one of his friends on campus. And that small prayer movement started to grow and spread across the campus and it became a movement. By the end of his first year in Yale, there were 150 freshmen meeting weekly to pray and to read the Word of God. By the time Bowden finished his studies, the prayer meeting has grown to 1,300 students. And he went beyond the Yale campus and he founded Yale Hope Mission, which he used to care for the orphans, the widows, and the disabled on the city streets. And one of his friends described Bowden this way. He might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant, to which he was taken, he has taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him and seeking to lead that man to Christ. That was the life of William Bowden. Upon graduation, Bowden turned down high-paying jobs to obey his call to be a missionary to the Kangsu people in China. 
And that was when he wrote two more words at the back of his Bible. No reserves, no retreat. And because he wanted to answer his call, he went on to Princeton Seminary in New Jersey to prepare himself to answer his call. And when he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China. But because he knew that he was hoping to reach the Muslims in China, he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. And while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within a month, William Bodum died at the age of 25. He never made it to China. Now, I don't claim to understand why God would allow Bodum to go through all that he went through, but yet never make it to the mission field. Was his untimely death a total waste? I believe not in the economy of God. Because after his death, they discovered that Bowden had written two more words at the back of his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves, no retreat, he has written these two words, no regrets. No regrets. Ultimately, my friends, our discipleship is not determined by how much we have accomplished for God or for men but it is about how much we have obeyed the will of God. It's not about how much we have done. It is about how much we have obeyed the will of God. And William Bowden was not too soon, too slow or too soft. He was a true disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what about us today? Every one of us. In an increasingly secularized church, you know, compromised by shameless consumerism, you know, when everything is measured by whether I like it or not. Do I like the worship here? Do I like the sermons here? Do I like the sight and the sound? Do I like the seats I'm sitting on? Do I like the timing of this? You know, do I like the crash? You know, do I like this? Do I like that? You know, we're just bogged down with this shameless consumerism and sinful carnality when it's all about me and what I want. The cost of discipleship is often deemed too high a price to pay. And we need to ask ourselves afresh. Go back to this ancient path, you know, am I willing to pay the cost of discipleship? You know, church, I'm arrived at 60 already. And I've spent 30 over years in ministry. And as I come to the tail end of ministry, you know, there's this thought that always rings in my head. You know what the thought is? The thought that's always on my heart is, God, what kind of a church am I leaving behind? What kind of a legacy am I leaving behind? You know, and my prayer is not that my legacy will end up being a big building that everybody talks about is win the prize, you know, for being a the best commercial building and all of that. It's not even about how big a congregation there is that meets in this place. I don't want that to be my legacy. I want my legacy to be, there's a whole group of disciples and disciple makers that we are leaving behind. I remember the JDAP meeting when we went to apply for our two services. And the people that are sitting there deciding whether they, we can or cannot have the two services. I remember one of them making this, saying this. Say, Pastor, I think you're being very successful that you had to come and apply for two services. I think you're very successful. And in my head, I'm asking, is it? Really? Because at the end of the day, it's not about how big, you know. It's about how deep. 
It's not about how many. It's about what kind. What kind of people are we raising in this place? You know, every cell leader will identify with this, right? Last minute, people call up. I'm sorry, I can't come today. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't lead the thing today uh, because, you know, these, because of that. But every time it's a social, everybody shows up, you know. <laughs> when it's dinner, everybody can show up. I don't mind saying it as it is, you know. And I really, you know, I wish I could show you that, that little picture of the emotive. <laughs> I don't know how to access that on my phone, you know, but I love it when people show it. <laughs> It's true, you know, sometimes I really wonder when it comes down to a decision that needs to be taken, what do we ask ourselves? Do we actually say, God, is this pleasing to you? What do you want? What does your word say? Oh, it's just, I don't care, I have enough. I'm done. I'm finished. I quit. I'm walking out. And then where does God come in, you know, in all of this? Where does God come in? And I said, well, God, help me. What kind of a legacy are we leaving behind? May God help us. May God help us. I can't see, but I'm telling you from my heart, really, may God help us. May every one of us be disciples and not consumers. Let's not build a consumeristic church. Let's not raise cultural Christians in this place. But let's make disciples. Let's raise disciple makers. Amen. I think we can. It starts with this. We learn to ask ourselves again and again. Every time you come to a crossroad, God, what is it that will please you? Don't start by asking, what do I want? What's best for me? But really, let's ask God, what is it that will please you? Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I don't know how to end a sermon like that, you know, but just let's just allow God to speak to us. I ask the worship team to come and just let's worship Him together. And let's make some discipleship decisions this morning. you are, lift your heart and let's worship Him.
to God and allow me to pray. Father God, I thank you for every one of my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for wonderful people that you have called into your kingdom in this church. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will speak to us. Lord, take us to that place where we will make you king. And Lord, thank you that you have counted the cause and you've seen it fit to die so that we may live. You're willing to give up everything so that we can be with you in your kingdom. Now God, may you give us the grace. In return, we give up everything to follow you because you alone deserves it. And so God, may you come and sit on the throne of our hearts this morning. Be king in our life. Tell us how we should build our family, teach us how to spend our money, direct us on how we should build our career, be the centre of our life and be the king of every area in our life. And Lord, teach us to keep our eyes upon you because you are the author, the finisher of our faith. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. <laughs> 